0: Another high production Sunday morning at the Oceanside Sanctuary. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. For those of you who don't know, my name is Jason. I'm the uh, co-minister here. That's a new job title for me. For those of you who don't know, Janelle Coker, who was just up here a moment ago, was appointed as co-minister last Sunday by the congregation. Congratulations. I've never been so excited about a demotion in my life. So. Uh, we're going to continue our teaching series on the art of community. We started this last month and began that series by taking a look at Acts chapter 2. So for those of you who have been paying attention last month, Acts chapter 2, we uh, read about the birth of the church. And we went through that whole chapter, which begins with this sort of amazing, sort of fantastical story of fire coming down from heaven and alighting on the heads of all the disciples. And then as a result of that, like, uh, imbuing with the spirit of God, they're able to understand people who speak a different language. They're able to speak different languages. In other words, they're able to understand people who are different than them. And they gain a revelation for the inclusion of people in God's community who are different from them. And then that leads to something re- really remarkable, really fantastic that I said was the real miracle of Acts chapter two. And that was that people actually cared for each other. They provided for each other's needs. They went so far as to sell their goods and possessions if anybody else in the community was struggling so much that they needed the extra assistance. And so there's this sort of continuum of community that begins with inspiration by the Spirit of God, then leads to a a better sense of understanding and relationship with each other, and then results in real concrete material caring like a sense of community that's there for each other that's sort of the pattern that we saw in acts chapter 2. i'm going to give away my teaching for this whole month by just telling you i think we see the same pattern at work in romans chapter 12. so today we're going to begin with romans chapter 12 and i'm going to just share with you what i noticed about the first couple verses of romans chapter 12. Uh, And then, of course, as always, I'll invite you to respond and share with each other what you might be noticing uh, after church or online. You're welcome to pop into the comments and just share what you're noticing about Romans chapter 12, too. But before we do, I want to ask that you would just take a moment and pray with me as usual. Let's ask the Spirit of God to be here with us today and increase our understanding. God, we thank you so much for today and for this opportunity for us to gather as a church, both in person and online. We ask that you would uh, illuminate our minds, that you would soften our hearts, that you would meet us in a way that uh, inspires us, that fills us with a sense of your mysterious presence, whatever that might mean in our lives. We welcome your presence in our lives in a way that changes us, that transforms us. We ask that you would teach us what it does mean to surrender to you in order to experience closer union with you and with each other. We pray that this would result in a better sense of community. Have your way with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 Will sound familiar to you because Joey just gave it away in his song. That's okay. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then it goes on to say, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. I have to admit this has long been my favorite passage in the Bible. You know I come from a tradition that encourages people to have like favorite Bible passages and this has been my favorite passage Since my early 20s, when I made a kind of renewed commitment to my faith, having left my Christianity behind as an adolescent, because I just couldn't make sense of the kind of Christianity that had been given to me. But in my 20s, as I began to experience a sense of Christian community that was genuinely transformative for me, this passage really sort of lifted from the text and became powerful for me. And here's why I think it was powerful for me, because it calls us To give our bodies as a living sacrifice. And that was incredibly powerful language for me. I think it was powerful for me because it gave me a sense that there was something I could do. There was something that I could do to actually encounter God in a kind of predictable way. And that felt really powerful to me. It felt really different than the sort of passive experience of my faith that I had up to this point. And I do think that's a bit of a difference between this passage and Acts chapter 2. If you remember at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, the disciples are waiting for something. Jesus had told them to wait. So they're hanging out in the upper room. And then, of course, the spirit of God comes 40 days after Jesus ascends to heaven. There's this sense that the disciples are sort of being passive. Now, they're not being passive, you know, in the sense that they're, you know, hanging out together. They're eating together. They're there for each other. You know, they're actively engaged in building community. But the spirit of God just comes from out of nowhere in an unpredictable way and lights upon them. And then their whole world is changed and turned upside down. That's all well and good. I'm sure some of you have stories of how God came to you in an unpredictable way and took you by surprise. I think that's a common faith story. But here, I think an important shift is made. Paul says, present yourselves or offer yourselves, depending on what translation you might have, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In saying this, In this way, Paul, I think, shows us that there is an important shift in our lives, whereas people of faith not. That there is something that we can do to engage in this mysterious presence that we tend to call God. In other words, there is a way in which we live our faith that is intentional. Every day we're faced with choices about, who we are and what we do with our whole selves, that is to say our bodies, whole self, as somebody who claims the faith represented by the works and teachings of Jesus. Paul here would seem to indicate that we can place ourselves, we can offer ourselves, we can present ourselves to God in a way that produces transformation in us, that we have some agency in this relationship with God. It doesn't just happen to us, we are part of it. There is a kind of mutuality, a kind of reciprocity built into our relationship with God. We have throughout this series been visiting some of the uh, quotes of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who wrote Life Together and the Cost of Discipleship I've been sharing with you some of what Bonhoeffer writes about community and building community because that's what this series is about. In The Cost of Discipleship, Bonhoeffer points out that this kind of grace, the grace that is built into our relationship with God, is, of course, free in the sense that we can't earn it or own it, but that there is a cost to it. That to be in relationship with God not only brings us something, but it also costs us something. Bonhoeffer says this, costly grace, which might sound like a kind of paradox to you, but costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man or, I'll add, woman or they must knock. This is what it means to be in an intentional relationship with God. It means just like Jesus invites in his teaching, uh, it, it, it requires that we ask, that we seek, that we knock, that we come to God intentionally and purposefully when we need that encounter that transforms us, that we are not just passive participants in a relationship with this love that pervades the universe. Paul presents this as a particular kind of, he says, present your bodies or offer yourselves, again, depending on your translation, as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Again, this brings on images of fire. We talked about this a lot last month, that at the beginning of Acts 2, there's fire that comes down from heaven. And I said, in the ancient world, fire constantly represents the power of God or gods. Here again, Paul says, when you come to God, when you present yourselves to God, you do it as a living sacrifice, which conjures up the images of sacrifice in the Hebrew Bible, in the Jewish practice of literally taking animals and burning them on an altar. That's terrifying language because Paul says that's what you should do. That when you approach God intentionally, purposefully, in order to engage God in a relationship, that it is as though you are laying yourself on an altar to be sacrificed or burned. But Paul says we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And in this way, our sacrifice doesn't so much resemble the animals that are slaughtered in the Hebrew Bible, but rather, the burning bush that Moses encounters on Mount Sinai. We offer ourselves as living creatures, living beings to God, for God, to do what God will do. And the result is that we are burning, but not consumed. That we are on a fire, but not destroyed. And so, again, Paul, just like in the book of Acts, conjures up this notion that when we come to God, that we experience the presence of God, a sense of the power of God in a way that is akin to fire. And this word sacrifice also, I think, is problematic because we tend to think of sacrifice as a negative thing, right? We sacrifice for our children so that they'll be successful. And when we say that, of course, we tend to be lamenting all the costs that were associated with that. But sacrifice in the Hebrew tradition doesn't necessarily mean something that you give up bitterly out of a sense of duty that you're frustrated about bringing your offering. Instead, one of the ways that sacrifice is characterized in the Hebrew Bible is A response of gratitude. In the ancient world, it's characterized as a gift. We give gifts in the ancient world as a recognition that we have received something utterly good. And because we have received something utterly good, we give a gift back in return. That's worship. We tend to think that sacrifice in the Old Testament means that we bring an offering, a sacrifice, an animal or maybe money or food or whatever it might be in order to appease the anger of God or appease the wrath of the gods. But really, a more faithful way to understand ancient gift giving is that sacrifice comes because we recognize that we live in an incredibly good and generous and loving world. And because we have received the generosity, the goodness, the grace of God, we bring token gifts of gratitude in return. That's very different than appeasing the wrath of God who will destroy you if you don't sacrifice. Instead of some kind of propitiation for something terrible that might justly happen to you because you're a awful creature. Instead, this posture of worship as a gift is a recognition that we have received so much goodness that it only makes sense for us to give something back. That, I think, reflects all good, healthy relationships, doesn't it? We give to each other when we're married to another human being, for example, Not because we're trying to coerce or control or manipulate them, or maybe that is what you do, but I want you to know that's not healthy. But in a healthy, genuine, generous, loving relationship, we give to each other because we love each other. The goodness that flows out of a relationship of mutuality and reciprocity means that two people who love each other are constantly giving and receiving, constantly offering what they have to bring to the relationship, knowing fully well that the other person who loves them will also do the same. There's a trust at the heart of that kind of relationship. It's a relationship that gives and gives and gives because it receives and receives and receives. And in that kind of relationship, there is an eagerness to give, even an eagerness to outgive the other because you have so much gratitude and love and respect and trust built in to that mutuality that we call love. This is, I think, what Paul means when he says that we give ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. We bring our whole selves, our whole bodies, our whole minds, our whole spirits and give them to God. Not because we are afraid of what happens if we don't, but because we recognize that God as the source of goodness deserves everything that we have to give. And because in our experience, we receive so much goodness from God to begin with. That is sacrifice according to Paul. Again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer goes on and says grace, which, by the way, is the best word we have to describe that kind of relationship. It's grace. We aren't trying to, again, control each other, manipulate each other, coerce each other. Instead, we are giving generously to each other out of love. And the word for that in the New Testament is grace, which literally means gift. Bonhoeffer says grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life and it's grace because it gives the man the only true life. It's not really costly when what you get in return is everything, but it's cheap when you're promised everything with, without giving anything in return. This is, I think, what Paul's encouraging us to do. He's encouraging us to enter into a life of relationship with the Spirit of God that involves a constant give and take, a reciprocity of love and generosity and goodness that we in the Christian tradition call worship. Now, I come from a tradition that uses the word worship in reference to one thing and one thing only, and that is music. It's worship when we play music and the rest of us stand and sit or raise our hands or sing along or whatever it is that we do to experience like the ecstatic emotions that come along with singing good music and good words on the screen. But according to Paul, worship is much, much more than that. Worship is not just our singing. It's not just our communion cups. It's not just our reading of scripture. It's not just our prayers. Worship is when we take our whole bodies, our whole minds, our whole selves, and we give them to God because of all that God has given us. That's worship. That's why Paul says we become living sacrifices. Because when we give our whole selves to God, our lives become all about the goodness that God represents. And that is really, I think, key to understanding this passage. This only works, this approach to faith, where our life is literally given as a living sacrifice to God. This only works if your understanding of God is good. I don't know if you know this, but there are a lot of understandings of God that are not good. There are entire religious traditions of the Christian variety that teach an understanding of God who is not worth your worship or mine. Their teaching of God, their understanding of God is that God is hateful and vindictive and ready to destroy you and anybody else for that matter, at the blink of an eye. There are ideas of God, teachings of God, conceptions of God that would call you and I to hate other human beings because of their gender, because of their sexual orientation, because of their nationality or their ethnicity, or to value them less because their skin isn't light enough. It has never been more obvious that that's true than in the United States of America in 2022. And if you were given an idea of God, a concept of God, an image of God that you believe is leading you to hate and to do violence against other human beings, then you would be right to leave that idea of God behind. And that is happening right now in enormous numbers in the United States. People are rejecting an image of God that was hateful and bigoted and violent. And in some sense, that's the only way to be faithful to God, is to reject an idea of God that isn't good. Here's what I want to say about that. When we talk about God, when we use the word God, when we say God, when we worship God, when we sing to God, when we read about God, that word God refers, literally refers, to all that is good and right and true to the fullest extent that the human imagination can conceive. And if anything that we talk about in relationship to the word God is not all that is good and right and true, then it is not worth worshiping because it is not God. This is why Paul, at the very beginning of Romans chapter 12, verse one says. Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices." Paul has spent the previous 11 chapters of Romans trying to convince his listeners that God is good. Paul has spent the entire previous 11 chapters addressing objections about God and misunderstandings about God and whether or not God is going to condemn certain groups of people or not or whether or not other groups of people are welcome into the community of God. And Paul summarizes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and says, because God is merciful, because God is good, because God is generous and gracious, because of those things, Offer your whole selves as a living sacrifice to this God. The one who's good. You can trust this God. When I was thinking about this uh, message today, I was reminded that when I was a kid, very, very young, we moved into a house that had a swimming pool, and my parents were worried about, my brother and I growing up in a house with a swimming pool, and so they sent us off to the YMCA to learn how to swim. I think I must have been, I don't know, six years old, something like that, and uh, hadn't really spent much time swimming up to that point in my life, so I needed to learn how to swim. My parents sent me to the YMCA, showed up at the YMCA, and there were a bunch of strangers there with these little flotation devices. and some guy that I didn't know was like handing me a flotation device and pushing me into the pool and I was not gonna go back. So my grandfather, who was a great, big, towering, intimidating figure in my life, uh, said to my mother, I'll teach Jason how to swim. And he took me into the backyard and very thoughtfully carefully and intentionally explained all the mechanics of swimming to me. And then he gently helped me to practice it and learn those techniques until within a few days I was swimming across the swimming pool. The reason that worked, the reason that my grandfather was able to teach me how to swim and the stranger at the YMCA wasn't, was because of trust. Because I trusted my grandfather. It didn't matter how big or intimidating he might be. It didn't matter how gruff he could be. I knew my grandfather loved me more than anything. And I knew that he would never hurt me or harm me or ever put me in danger. I trusted him. This process of worshiping, of coming into contact with a sense of the presence of God, is a skill that we can learn not unlike swimming, but it doesn't work if you don't trust God. It doesn't work if you think God is evil or bad or capricious or full of wrath and ready to hurt you at any moment. You have to first believe that God is good. Paul is encouraging you and I'm encouraging you To reflect on the ways in which you have been given ideas of God that aren't good, that aren't trustworthy, that aren't safe. And as we wrap up with worship today, I want to invite you to surrender those ideas of God. To give up those harmful or hurtful notions that keep you from giving yourself intentionally as a spiritual act of worship. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for today. Again, we ask that you would uh, open up our imaginations, that we would be drawn into an understanding of you that is genuinely good, genuinely trustworthy, genuinely loving. We ask now, as we sing this last song, that you would bring to our minds all the ways that we have been taught not to trust you, all the ways that we have been given an image of you that is unloving or hateful or perhaps angry. ask God that you would help us to relinquish those ideas today and that you would instead fill us with a sense of your goodness by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you, Jason, for those words. A couple quick announcements. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is CJ. E. CJ, I'll get that out, only two letters. Yes. Wow. was <laughs> difficult. Well, good morning again. Um, in addition to being here at the Sanctuary on a Sunday morning and connecting with others and hearing amazing music and amazing words from Jason, we want to give you some things that you can get involved with throughout the week and throughout the month. So let's talk about some of those. Our next monthly book club, which happens every first Thursday, of the month is July 7th, that is uh, this Thursday night, 6.30 p.m. via the Zoom. This month, we're discussing Immortal Diamond, The Search for Our True Self by Richard Rohr. In it, Rohr likens the true self to a diamond buried uh, buried deep within us, formed under the intense pressure of our lives that must be searched for, uncovered, and separated from all the debris or ego Um, that surrounds us. So once again, that is this Thursday night, July 7th at 6.30 p.m. um, on the Zoom. Also something exciting coming up for our youth, uh, Blue Theology High School Excursion. The Family and Youth Ministries here at OSC and Pilgrim United um, are joining together to send high school students for a week-long excursion to Blue Theology Mission Station in Monterey uh, Monterey Bay, California, to learn about the science of marine biology and the theology of creation and care. This is happening from Sunday, July 17th through Saturday, July 23rd. If you know families, I think there's still room available. I think they have room for one more, Janelle just said, so you can touch base with Janelle on that, but that'll be exciting. I know our our daughter is looking forward um, to that opportunity coming up group team and leader training sunday july 31st the last sunday of this month from 4 to 7 p.m that's going to happen right here at the sanctuary if you are interested in leading uh interest groups community groups or ministry teams join us for our new group and team leader training july 31st once again 4 to 7 p.m the collaborative training session will cover how we Uh, lead in distinctively inclusive, relational, and and organizational ways. This is a great opportunity to learn great leadership skills for free, and there's a dinner at the end of that training. So you can RSVP for all these things on the Oceanside Sanctuary.org website, or you can scan QR code located throughout the church. And then finally, we'd love for you to support the mission here at the Oceanside Sanctuary, which is a 501 c3 nonprofit that relies on gifts from us and you can do that online as well um our son this past week had major chest reconstruction surgery and then i'm sitting here listening and joey's singing about just breathing and as we went into that surgery my wife and i that's all we could tell them they said hey when you wake up you're gonna feel like you're at the bottom of a football pile for about a day so you just need to slow down And just breathe just breathe and I was thinking about that as Jason was talking and Joey was singing that amazing song and we're gonna find ourselves at the bottom of a football pile this next week before we see each other again next Sunday and so we just breathe breathe in the God that Jason was talking about whatever that looks like for you the good God breathe it in And let it come out in love and encouragement and passion towards others. Breathe in the negative at the bottom of the pile and out into others, right? Have a great week. May the peace of God be with you.
0: Also with you. you.